Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. Most importantly, though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. What does it feel like when you're watching your child do something and they're struggling and in your mind, you know the most efficient way of getting the job done? Or how about when your daughter comes home and the people she thought were her friends really weren't and you knew all along that they would end up breaking her heart someday? How about when you have to attend another court hearing for your child? And there's been so many of them, friend, that you've lost count. And the end of these behaviors seems nowhere in sight. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, all those scenarios I just described left me with a pit in my stomach. I mean, I I actually have a physical reaction even as I'm saying those words out loud. And the reason is because my flesh... My flesh knows exactly what I would want to do in each of those situations. In each of those scenarios, my primary goal would be to solve the problem, to give the advice, to take away the hurt, to say the words that would make it better, to do the thing that would make it better, to find the specialist that would make it better. And that's exactly what I would want to do. I... I would want to make it better. And we find ourselves here often, don't we? In this place where we want to make it better, but we can't. And and sometimes even in our trying to make it better, we can make it worse. Listen, no one would argue and say that we don't love our children. In fact, we almost overlove our children when they find themselves in situations like those. And it's tough to say overlove because... I think almost for me, it feels like there's judgment attached to it, but but there's no judgment attached. It's just that some of us, some of us love really hard and, and who knows where that comes from. I mean, I'm sure that there's some psychological explanation for it. Maybe it was because we didn't feel fiercely loved when we were younger, or maybe it was because we were fiercely loved when we were younger and we want our kids to feel the same way. I don't know, really, because I'm not a therapist, but I do know the feeling and I do know the strength that it requires to not help. I know how much courage and strength it takes to sit with the discomfort of not helping. Well, I found there's two causes for the discomfort that we experience that really stand out to me. And I think it's important for me personally, and I think I talk about this all the time, to understand some of what is causing me to feel the way I'm feeling. 
In a way, it kind of helps me make changes that I need to make because I'm able to gain an awareness behind what's going on for me, right? I mean, it's no longer a program that's running in the background. It's actually me understanding the coding behind the program. So let's talk for just a couple minutes about what I believe are two of the reasons I experience feelings of discomfort when it comes to watching my kids make choices that rub up against what I feel is best for them. And this could be in any area of life, really. It could be as simple as them picking up after themselves to more serious things like getting in trouble at school. The first discomfort comes from the fact that I love really hard. And that's it. I'm a hard lover. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, who's going to fault me for that, right? I just really love my kids. And so sitting by and allowing them to learn consequences naturally feels uncomfortable. That's a good reason, isn't it? Well, sure. But it's not the complete 100% truth. The truth is, if I were to choose to release my attempt to fix, then that would mean I have to consider sitting with the feelings of not helping and not helping is really uncomfortable. I think some of the reasons why it's uncomfortable is because it's a way for me to be in control of a situation or at least the illusion of control, right? Because if I'm doing something, then at least I'm putting in effort. I mean, I'm doing my part and they may not be doing their part, but at least I won't have to question if maybe I'm failing somewhere or falling short as a parent. The other reason it creates discomfort for me to watch my child do something that rubs up against what I feel is best for them is that it creates a feeling of anxiety in me. So take, for example, that my child is failing a class or all of their classes because they're not doing their homework. For me, it's like, it's so easy. Just do your homework. If you do your homework, you'll pass your class and then you'll feel good about yourself and then I'll feel so good about myself. Oh, wait, that's, that's not really something I want to think about, but, but it ties back to our feelings of how we parent. It ties back to feelings about our family, feelings about our child who, who's a direct extension of us and And so they can feel like a reflection on us. I know we don't want to believe it. Trust me, I don't want to think about this side of things either. I mean, no, that's that's not what it's about. But it is a little. I mean, when you have anxiety over watching your child suffer, there's there's multiple reasons for why that is. There's, of course, the love that's behind it. The fact that you care for them deeply and that you don't want to see them unnecessarily struggle in life. But also there's knowledge that when they struggle, it impacts you. For instance, what happens when your son or daughter is not doing well? Well, when my kid is not doing well in one or more areas, I can tell you the meaning that it creates or the meaning that I created for it in my world. When my child's not doing well in my world, it means that my workload just doubled. It means that now the effort I put in to keep them up in line and not fall behind just increased. So now it's like I have to give even more energy to this. So hear me out. Like, let's stick with the scenario of grades. 
with grades, that means that I'm now going to have to check your grades online to make sure that you're completing your assignment. And I'll also need to look over your shoulder at your computer, and I'll need to tell you 50 million times to get off YouTube and to get your homework done. It means that I'm going to have to sit down and have conversations with you about why homework is important and how this is the practice of being disciplined and on and on and on and on. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. When I meet with parents of teenagers, there is one thing that they all have in common. They are exhausted. And they're exhausted because they have been running a marathon with a 120-pound teenager on their back. It's like we're moving forward in our life and trying to keep everything running smoothly. We're juggling work and our relationships and our friendships and our health And we're also trying to keep our kid in line with us while we're running the race. And so, yeah, it's exhausting. And the worst part, the worst part is that it's not even effective. It's not effective. If I'm running a marathon with a teenager strapped to my back, does that mean that they completed the marathon? Does that mean that they get the 31-mile sticker on the back of their car or the medal at the end? No. They didn't do it. We did it. We nagged and micromanaged and stayed on top of them like white on rice. And they probably, they probably learned minimal through that process. In fact, what they probably learned is that if they don't show up for themselves, somebody, somebody will show up for them. Is that the lesson we wanted to teach? If they don't show up in life, if they don't show up at their job, if they don't show up in their marriage, I mean, we're thinking beyond high school, right? That somebody else will show up for them, that there's no consequence. That's not the message that we want to send. I think that like, as you hear what I'm saying, you're like, Angie, I do not want to run a marathon with a teenager on my back. I do not want that for the next three years of their life or four years of their life or 45 years of their life. I mean, I think I've pretty much sold you on that concept, right? So what we're going to talk about next is hard. It's actually really hard. It's so hard that you guaranteed will choose at different points to just put your child in a backpack and run a couple miles. That is until you get exhausted. And you think to yourself, hmm, there was a podcast I listened to about this once. All right, let me try this again. And that's okay because that's how change happens for us. When we learn about something, we don't just download it into our brains and are like, okay, new operating system update. You know how that pops up on your phone? It's like your phone will update tonight at midnight. And there's always a little part of me that gets excited and is like, ooh, what's it going to be? Like, what are the improvements? Are there going to be some new emojis? There's always a part of me that kind of feels this excitement and this anticipation. And like, if we could just figure out a way, right? If we could just figure out a way to update or upload new versions in ourselves, life would be so much easier, right? But until then, we have to do the work. And so today, we're going to talk about a term called detachment. Detachment was actually a little too harsh of a word. So they had to change it to loving detachment because none of us moms would go for it otherwise. So I'm curious, what comes up for you 
when you hear the word detachment? Are you feeling something? Where are you feeling it? Is it anxiousness? Is it anger? Like when you hear that word detach, are you like, no, 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 no. That's not an option. Like this kid can't remember to take his lunch to school, Ange. He will literally die if I detach from him. Detaching is not possible. That could be your initial feelings that are coming up. Another feeling could be detach. I'm already I'm already feeling like I'm losing her. I mean, she's not she's not the sweet girl that used to jump into my arms and and want to play with my hair anymore. You want me to detach even further? Like I'm clinging on here. I'm trying to make sure we have a relationship at the end of these years. That could also be going through your head. And both of those scenarios are completely normal, but I want you to just stick around with me and let's talk about this a little bit more, okay? Here's the thing. I think that we have two sides of ourselves. We have the side of ourselves that's logical, right? It understands like two plus two equals four. And the square root of 14,853 is 121.87. I threw that in there just to sound super smart. But the truth is, I, of course, had to look it up. Square roots are the one thing I never thought I'd use in life. And look at what we got here. Anyway, we have this logical side and there's also another side of us that is emotional, a side of us that lives our life based on feelings. What what feels right? What feels good? What feels peaceful? And what sits well in our soul? And so I'm going to say, if the life you're living right now is peaceful and it feels good, you do not need to practice loving detachment. I mean, that's the good news. In fact, you can just skip right past this podcast. I think everybody's still here. I actually don't think we lost a single person because nobody listening to this podcast, spoiler alert, is in that place right now. So I'm going to ask you to stretch yourself here, okay? I'm going to ask you to be open-minded about what you're hearing. I want you to take it in with the logical side. In fact, do this. Imagine that this information is for somebody else. It's not even for you, but for the other people who are listening. You just be an objective listener and see if it makes sense to you. See if it sounds like something that you feel would be good advice, if it's for somebody else, of course. So we had a little scenario in the kitchen the other day. It was just me and the two of my boys. And I have a teenage son and a middle schooler still at home. And my middle schooler had some money. And he is what we call an impulsive shopper. I mean, this kid is the kid who, if he has money with him and we go to the grocery store, he will stop and pick up the first three things he sees and insist that he needs to buy them. Then as we go along the store, he's setting stuff down in random places and picking up other things. And none of it is anything he really wants. He just thinks he wants it. Now, I have had several conversations with him about money and being impulsive and delayed gratification and how you should save up for something and, you know, all the financial stuff, right? Well, he had gotten some money and he had been wanting to get something on Amazon. So I let him on my phone so that he could look up a few things on the app. My older son sees him on the phone and he tries to impart some wisdom on his little brother. 
And he starts telling him how when he was younger, he bought a lot of crap that just ended up being junk and how he wishes now that he had all that money back. And my middle schooler, of course, just ignored him, you know, because he was not trying to get a lecture from his older brother. It's bad enough he has to hear it from his mom and dad, right? And when my teenager sees that his little speech made no impact, he looked at me and he said, Mom, are you going to stop him or something? Are you going to step in here and tell him he shouldn't be wasting his money? And it just dawned on me how I was hearing somebody else doing for the first time what I do. And I realized like how ridiculous it was from an outside perspective. The reason it was ridiculous is because my middle schooler was going to do what he was going to do. I mean, he was on the app. He knew what he wanted, already had the items in his cart. So I said, what is it that you want me to do? You want me to have a conversation with him about money and how important money is? And he looked at me, right, and was like, well, yeah, I think that you should say something. So I take a deep breath and I look over at my younger boy and I say, hey, bud, have we ever talked to you about money before? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm curious. What do you think we would say in this situation? And he says, well, you would tell me. And then he went off into a stream of all the things, almost verbatim, guys, of all the things that I have said to him multiple times in the supermarkets, gas stations, and everywhere else we've been. So I turned and I looked at my older son and I said, see, he knows the information. As long as he knows the information, we can release it because the choice he makes next is ultimately his and he'll have to live with whatever those consequences are. And then as casually as I could, I walked into the bathroom to go check the mirror and see who I was for a second because I was literally like, what? Wait a minute. Did that just come out of my mouth? And it was interesting because I don't think that I would have come up with that or thought those things if I hadn't seen the action of protecting in somebody else. But because I saw in my high schooler what he probably learned from me, these tactics of trying to get his brother to make a wise decision and and the emotional connection that he was having to my younger son making the right choice, I was suddenly able to view it differently. I mean, my teenager was so invested that he chose to get me involved. And And isn't that what we do? Like when we aren't getting through to our child and we're really trying to stress the point, then we ask our our spouse to have the conversation or we take them to a guidance counselor to have that conversation or our pastor or their probation counselor or our friend or, you know, whoever might be the right person to reinforce it. And the thing is, they already know it. They already know it. And now they're in the backpack again, and we're exhausted. So loving detachment. Now, there's two questions I think that we can ask ourselves before deciding to lovingly detach from our child, okay? The first question is that you can ask yourself, 
Have they been given what we believe is wisdom? Or in other words, have we covered this before? Because that's important to us, right? Loving detachment is not saying like, you're on your own, kid. Instead, we ask ourselves, have they been given what we believe is wisdom? Or in other words, have we covered this before? Then we're able to do this kind of mental checkbox in our head. It's either yes or no. If the answer is no, then it's important that we have that conversation. And when you do have that conversation, you you may not want to start off by saying you need to blah, 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 blah. You know, like I'm learning that when I use I statements, it's usually better received because teens are always in a little bit of a power and control battle with us, right? And they're always kind of trying to push away and are striving towards independence. And when we start off by saying you need to, then they kind of dig their heels in a little bit. Recently, I've been reading this book called um, Raising Teens in a Contrary Culture, and the author, he talks about how the rules kind of change a little bit when you become the parent of a teenager. Actually, hold on just a second. I just said rules, and I don't know, more and more I'm just feeling like, screw rules. Like, who cares about rules? There really aren't rules because we're all just trying to figure this out the best we can. But I guess I guess I could say they recommend a shift in the role that you play when you are parenting a teenager. And it's kind of like switching from a director position where you've been directing their lives, their choices, and their decisions into more of an advisor role. And it's kind of similar to if you haven't heard the podcast um, with where I interviewed Pete Feliciano. I can't remember what podcast number that was, but it was about um, probation. And he gives the analogy where he talks about like the child is driving the bus. And it's this idea of getting used to the fact that like you're not driving the bus, the child's driving the bus, and we are behind the bus. And we can give advice and we can say, hey, um, you know, this corner is pretty sharp up here. You may want to slow down. Um, we can say, you know, you're doing a great job. Like, wow, that was a really great stop. Like we can give advice and we can say things. But but in the end, they're driving the bus. So so if somebody came to you asking for advice and you would tell them your thoughts or share your opinions, but you wouldn't necessarily expect them to follow it. Like if they followed it, great, but you wouldn't be attached to the outcome. Does that make sense? So it's kind of shifting more from a director position, which is what we've been in over our children, into an advisor role. So if I was going to have, say, a conversation with my child about getting their homework done, I might say something like, from what I know of you, you're a kid who really enjoys being able to relax in the evenings. So the wise thing I think for you to do would be maybe to get your homework done as soon as you get home, just to get it over with. That way you can feel free uh, the rest of the evening to just do whatever you want to do. And um, and you can also feel good about taking care of your responsibilities. Now, to you and I, that's pretty sound advice, right? My child will probably consider it for 2.2 seconds, and then they'll ultimately make a decision. Maybe they'll choose to follow it that day and maybe not the next. Maybe they'll choose it every day from here on out. 
that would be a dream, but maybe they'll never choose it. But my part was to give the wisdom. So we pass on what we believe is sound counsel, and then we detach ourselves from needing them to follow it because at that point in time, it's just their decision and it's their consequence. And does that suck a little? Yeah, of course it does. Because as a mom, you know all of the ways that this one small decision could lead to others, the way it could shimmy itself right on down the road, the domino effect that it might potentially have is always lurking in our minds, isn't it? We have like this super ability at creating imagined scenarios. It's kind of like our superpower, although I'm not sure how super it is. So when you get to the part where it's time to detach, you've calculated how the first domino could be him doing his homework as soon as he gets home. And the last domino could be him going to med school someday and thanking you for your advice. And then the opposite row of dominoes would look like the first domino being he chooses not to do his homework. And the last domino is he's living with us until he's 45 and he can't hold down a steady job. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We do this whole like trail of dominoes in our minds of like, if this happens, then this could happen. And then this, and then this, and then this, and then, oh no, if all of those things could happen, then I have to say something, right? I mean, I can't not say something if my child could end up an old man living under a bridge, right? I mean, that's what we do in our minds. Granted, that's the extreme version of it, but it's true. And you know, it's true. So the first question that you ask yourself in a situation is, have they been given what we believe is wisdom? Or in other words, have we covered this before? The next question you want to ask yourself is, am I willing to allow this to be theirs? Am I willing to allow this situation to be theirs? So what do you think about when I say that? What does that mean to you? Well, to me, that means that for this one, they're out of the backpack. The backpack is like it's put away. It's in the attic, far, 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 far back corner of the attic, covered with spider webs and spiders so that I never want to go back up there and grab it again. And this thing, whatever this is, whatever this situation is that I'm choosing to take them out of the backpack in, it belongs to them. So if they don't get their homework done, that belongs to them. And if they fail the class, that belongs to them. And I could continue down the domino trail, but I think it would serve no purpose other than to give you anxiety. So I'll leave it at that. But that too belongs to them. So to repeat, the next question is, am I willing to allow this to be theirs? And if you are like, nope, I cannot allow this to be theirs, this is a hill I will die on, then you know your answer, right? And there's no shame in that because there's no right or wrong here. For your own reasons, you feel as a parent that you're willing to strap them into your backpack and carry them for this portion of the marathon ahead. I mean, maybe it'll just be for this one thing and maybe you'll be able to let other things go. Maybe there will be other situations that come up 
that you're willing to allow to be theirs. I mean, the ultimate goal is to have nobody in the backpack, right? The ultimate goal is that I only have to take care of myself and my child takes care of themselves or chooses not to take care of themselves, but that I'm not responsible for carrying that weight. That's the end result that we're all hoping for. But to be clear, I will always, 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 always ask the first question when it comes to my child for the rest of my life. That is not part of the backpack deal for me. I'll always ask myself if my child has been given wisdom on any matter in which I foresee struggle. That actually will be a lifelong rule for me. That's a rule I'm okay with having. I will always be available as an advisor for them. And as my kids get older, sometimes I ask them, like, would it be okay to share my views on this? And truthfully, sometimes I don't even ask first. I just start telling them what I think, whether or not they want to hear it. And then I talk myself through the process of releasing it and allowing the situation to be theirs. There is a specialist on nonviolent communication that I stumbled across as I was doing some research on this matter. After I recognized detachment in my kitchen the other night, I was wondering, like, how could I begin doing this on a bigger scale? And his name is Dr. Waylon Myers, and he has a blog he wrote that's titled, How Detachment Can Be Loving for All. And um, I'm going to actually split this up into two episodes, so you'll be able to listen to uh, Dr. Waylon Myers' advice on how detachment can be loving for all in our next episode, which will be released October 11th. In it, we will take the next step forward towards loving detachment together. Until then, I'd like for you to spend the next couple of weeks just growing in your awareness around how many times you are tempted to put your child in the backpack and to run the race for them. And when you do come up against those moments, to begin to ask yourself the two questions. One, have they been given what I believe is wisdom? Or in other words, have we covered this before? And two, am I willing to allow this to be theirs? Even if you do nothing else but those three things, your awareness around this area will grow so much. So until next time, remember, this journey is about the small things, one day at a time. Okay, friends, well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources, like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. 
When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. Posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.